Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse 6, and we'll go down through verse 14 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. It says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8 says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, I want to look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, we know Isaiah, when he prophesied about the coming Messiah, he said in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6, he said that he will be called the Prince of Peace. And one thing about it is, peace is probably the greatest gift that comes with salvation. And when Jesus left this earth in John 14 and 27, he said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. He said, do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. And so my question this morning is this. If peace is a part of the greatest gift of salvation why do we see so many Christians in present turmoil? You know, I completely understand those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior being upset, being in turmoil, living in fear. But for those of us who have been given the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life, why are we in turmoil? Why are we upset? Why are we all tore up if he said, I'm giving you this peace and the peace I'm giving you is not the same kind of peace the world gives because that's a false peace. It's a temporary peace. But what I'm giving you, and I'm, giving like, I'm not giving like the world gives because I'm leaving it with you and I'm not taking it back. And so this morning, over the next few moments, I want us to do a little self-examination for those of you today that are in turmoil. You're tore up all inside over something. Something's got you weighted down. And I want us to do a little self-examination 
And there's three questions that we must ask ourselves this morning if we are not experiencing this peace that he says he has left us, that he says he has given us. Question number one that we must ask ourselves is simply this. Are there any barriers between me and God? Okay. Question number one. We need to ask ourselves, are there any barriers between me and God? See, every single one of us were born into sin. The psalmist said, in sin my mother did conceive me, and our sin is what separated us from God. If our greatest need would have been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was a savior. Our greatest problem was sin. And because our greatest problem was sin, God sent us a Savior. Let me say this. Before you come to know Jesus Christ, you are referred to as an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So you see, peace does not come from things. Peace comes from someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus Christ, he himself becomes our peace between us and a holy, righteous God. And let me say this, when you are living a righteous life, you will have Peace. You have peace. Isaiah 48 and 22 says, There is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. But he says in verse thir- in chapter 32, he says, And the works of righteousness will be peace. Those that live righteous, those that do what is right, he says, there will be peace. In your life, there will be quietness and confidence forever. Psalms 119, 165 says, Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. And so we see that when we are living the way we're supposed to live, guess what? There is a peace that is inside of us. But you know what? As a child of God, as a Christian, there are times, believe it or not, when we stumble, when we fall, and when that relationship, that fellowship is damaged, and when that fellowship is damaged, there cannot be peace in our life. And so you need to ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my life that is causing a barrier, sin, between me and God? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short 
that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Blue what he says, verse 2. He says, but your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When there are barriers, whether it's a sin barrier between myself and God, there can be no peace in my life. The psalmist David knew this perfectly. Remember when he committed sin with Bathsheba and he tried to cover it up. Imagine God's own heart trying to cover up something like that. Not only did he commit adultery, but he also committed murder. And he tried to cover it up. In Psalm 32, he writes that beautiful psalm there when he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's not peace when you're groaning. That's not peace. That's a man in turmoil there, right? Because he's not living the way he's supposed to live. And he says this, verse 4, he says, but when I, for, for not, not in day your hand was heavy upon me, he says my vitality was drained away with the fever heat of summer. And then look what he says in verse 5. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. See, when you sin, guess what? You got a choice. You can either try to cover it up or you can confess it. If you try to cover it up, there's going to be all kind of turmoil. There's not going to be any peace in your life. There's going to be conviction in your life. But guess what? If you will confess your sins, we read this earlier, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you don't have to wait to the end of the service to do that. You can do it right there in your seat. You can do it going down the road. You don't have to call the preacher to pray for you over this. No, you're a, you're, you, you yourself are your royal priesthood. You can go right into the throne room of God and ask God to forgive you of that, and he will forgive you of your sins. And so you got to ask yourself question number one. Are there any barriers between myself and God? And if there's a sin barrier, don't cover it up. Don't try to hide it. Confess it. And if you will confess it, he will forgive you of all unrighteousness. Praise be unto God. Question number two. Not only are there any barriers between myself and God, but there, are there any unnecessary battles I'm fighting? Now, the first one, barriers, dealt with our relationship vertically between ourselves and God. Okay? When we're justified by faith, guess what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, you can be at peace with God, but not have the peace of God. Okay? You can be at peace with God, but not have the peace of God. And so... While the previous question dealt with our relationships vertically, this question deals with them horizontally. 
Let me say this. We know that relationships are some of the greatest joys we have in our lives, right? God said it's not good for man to be alone, right? Because he don't have somebody tell him how to do things properly, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think that's what he's meaning there. He's talking, that was a joke, okay? But God knew it wasn't good for man just to be alone, that he also needed to have relationships with other people. Let me say this, even though our relationships are the greatest source of joy and happiness and pleasure, they're also one of the greatest sources of stress and conflict. See, many times our relationships with others whether it's marital relationships, whether it's relationship between us and our children, us and our family, us and our in-laws, many times those things, we allow those things to rob us of our peace. And let me say this, peace is something that doesn't come naturally between two people. It's something you will always have to work at. Because conflict is a normal part of relationships. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 14. He said, pursue peace with all men. Now listen, that word pursue involves running. It involves effort. Listen, we just don't naturally run, especially at our age, right? It takes effort to run. It takes effort. To maintain peace. Romans 14 and 9, 19, he says, We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And so when I'm talking about are there any unnecessary battles that I'm fighting here, and I'll say this, listen, if you're in a battle this morning, it's either a God-ordained battle or it's a battle you got yourself into that God had no, had no desire for you to get in that battle, okay? And if, and if it's his ordained battle, it's his battle, okay? Now, if you've gotten yourself into it, that's your battle. That's you. That's on you. But what keeps us from having peace in our relationships? Maybe it's something like this. Maybe it's an issue of your past, Maybe it's something that happened in your past and you are still angry about that situation. See, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, when you hold on to things of the past, where people have wronged you, where people have mistreated you, when you hold on to those things, and I've said it many times, I'll say it again, it's like you drinking poison hoping it's going to hurt the other person. And there has to be times in your life when you say, listen, this isn't worth me staying all tore up over this. 
It's time to let it go. It's time to move on. Remember when Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Now, Peter thought he was given a superior answer. But Jesus said, no, no. Not seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, is Jesus really saying here that you need to keep a record? And once they get to 491, we say, that's it. No. He's using an illustration here that says our forgiveness toward other people has to be unlimited. It has to go on and on and on and on. And let me say this. If you're married, you've got to practice 24 hour a day, seven days a week forgiveness. You just simply do. Because you're going to mess up and they're going to mess up. Right? And so you're going to say things. Let me put it like this. You know the reason why some, some of us, me and you, get along real good? Because we don't ever talk that much. Right? And if you don't ever see somebody a lot, you say, well, man, that person, I can get along with them pretty good. But if you get under the same roof with me, and we live seven days a week, you'll, your attitude may change. You say, you know what? He gets a little ornery sometimes. He gets a bad attitude sometimes. But that's what happens with the closer you get to someone and the more time you spend with them, the more likely they're to say something, they're to do something that's going to make you angry. And so as a child of God, you got a decision to make. Am I going to hold on to this and give the devil an opportunity to cause this rift between us or am I going to forgive as Christ Jesus has forgiven me? And some of us need to realize, listen, we've been mad long enough. We've been hurt long enough. It's time to forgive, it's time to let it go, and it's time to move on. But there's also issues of the present. Maybe not something you have to have in your past, but maybe it's something that's going on right now. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23-25. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your gift... At the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Now, notice he doesn't say if you got something against somebody else. He said, No, you may think you're in the clear on this, but if somebody has something against you, what does he say to do? Verse 25. He's, excuse me, verse 24. He says, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. See, we would say, no, we'll wait after church is over with because I'm in here, I need to present my offering first. But no, he says, no, you go straighten that out first, then you come in here and present your offering. Now, why is he saying that? Because he goes on to say this, verse 25, he says, make friends with, quickly with your opponent. In other words, the longer you let that fester, how many knows the harder it is to forgive? The longer you let that simmer, the harder it is to forgive. And so as a child of God, forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. When you are mistreated, guess what? It's not, well, how bad is it? No, it's I forgive them. Because that's the same way Jesus Christ has 
treated us. And so the question number one is this. Are there any barriers between myself and God? That could be robbing me of my peace. Question number two is this. Are there any unnecessary battles I'm fighting or anything I'm holding on to in my relationships that I need to let go, that I need to move on from and forgive and let it go? And then the third question is this. And this will probably all hit us all at some point. Am I carrying any unnecessary burdens in my life? Am I carrying any unnecessary burdens in my life? Now, when we talk about burdens, we said unnecessary burdens, okay? In other words, things that God didn't give you a burden for that. These are things that you just picked up along the road. And what is an unnecessary burden? I think one of the greatest burdens that we carry around as a child of God is the burden of worry. We are worried about everything. And you know what worry is? Worry is simply the inability to live in the present. We're worried about Christmas. Is everybody going to show up? Are they going to like what I got them? We're worried about COVID. We're worried about the economy. We're worried about the condition of the world. We're worried about the condition of our society. And as Mark Twain once said, he said, I've suffered a many great catastrophes in life. Most of them never happened. And that's the way a lot of people are. We are living, not living in the present. We're living Friday. We're living right now in Saturday. And you don't even know if you're going to make it to Saturday. I don't know if I'm going to make it to Saturday. And so we are living not in the present, but we're trying to live in the future. You realize that worry, it has been scientifically proven, that worry is a contributing factor to high blood pressure, heart disease, ulcers, back pains. As a matter of fact, Dr. Charles Mayo, the, owner of the, Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, said half the hospital beds are filled with people who worry themselves there. And so we, I've got to ask myself this question, are there any unnecessary burdens that I am carrying around right now? Things that I've got no control over, but yet I think if I worry about it, if I dwell about it, if I think about it long enough, that I can work this out. Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. In the book of Philippians, four chapters there. We know this book very well. The Apostle Paul is writing this from a Roman prison cell, okay? And he does not know whether or not they're fixing to call out his name and send his head to the chopping block. And the greatest, or, or the, 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 the theme of the book of Philippians is rejoice. Rejoice. Joy. Let me tell you something. Some of us can't rejoice because we never joiced. Right? We've never had joy the first time. So how are we going to have it again? You know those people, they brighten up the room when they leave? 
Some of you get that later on. But here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now listen, let's stop there for a second. Now when we see the words where Jesus says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, does that mean it's okay to commit it every once in a while? No. When we see thou shalt not steal, do we think that means, well, you can steal every once in a while? No. If there's a command that says do not do something, does that mean, well, there's leeway there. We may can do that. No. This right here, even though the Apostle Paul penned it, the author is the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And if he tells us, do not worry. One translation says, do not worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. It's a sin to be anxious. And so he says, as a child of God, don't be anxious about anything. Now, what does it mean to be anxious? It means to be pulled in different directions. It literally means being pulled apart. It also carries the idea of being strangled by something. And so when you are anxious, you are strangled. It strangles your joy. It strangles your peace. It strangles your hope. And so he says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about Christmas dinner. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what the doctor's going to say. Don't worry about anything. But he don't just stop there. Continue on. He says, verse 6, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, he doesn't just say don't worry about it. He says, but I'm going to tell you how not to worry about it. He says, don't worry about it, pray about it. Don't worry about it, pray about it. What if we prayed as much as we worried? What if every time that thought came into our mind, instead of dwelling on it, we just simply said, I'm going to pray to the Father about that. And so he tells us, whatever it is, whether it's something big, whether it's something small, he says, pray about everything. See, because what does prayer do for us? Prayer gets our mind off ourselves and gets our minds on God. Okay? I don't, and don't leave when I say this because let me, let me make the whole statement, okay? I don't necessarily believe there's power in prayer. I believe there's power in the God I pray to. Okay, that's where the power comes from. It comes from God. Because there's a lot of people that are in false religions that pray a lot, but there's not power in that prayer. But it's not the prayer that's powerful. It's the God that I pray to. That is who is powerful. And when you pray about something, you, that's why Jesus said this, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, he said, you pray, our Father who art in 
heaven. In other words, you are saying to yourself, I serve a heavenly father who provides for me, who protects me, who watches over me, and it gets my mind off myself, and it gets my mind on the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who is omnipotent, the one who can do anything. He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And he says, let your requests be made known to God. And then look what he says, verse 7. He says, and the peace of God. Now notice, we said earlier, when you're saved, you have peace with God. And there's a difference in having peace with God and having the peace of God. And so when you are when you are uh, uh, fighting with something that worries you, he says, you pray about that. He says that when you pray about it, you know what happens? He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he says, don't worry about anything. He says, pray about everything. And then the third thing, verse 8, he says, you got to think about the right things. Verse 8, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good repute or good report, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, dwell on these things. See, some of us, and pardon the expression, we just simply got stinking thinking. We think about the wrong things. We are fixated on death. We're fixated on getting sick. We're fixated on the economy. We're fixated on the wrong things, and we wonder why we cannot get any peace of mind. But Isaiah 26 and 3 says this, says the steadfastness of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because he trusts in you. And so when you focus on God instead of the problems, when you focus on God instead of the issues, guess what? The peace of God will transform and keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The psalmist was saying Psalms 108 and 1. He says, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and praise even with my soul. Listen, when your heart is fixed, you can sing and you can praise. You know the reason why some people come in and say, well, I can't sing today, I can't praise today. It's because your heart, your mind is not steadfast. It is not fixed. Psalms 112 and 7 says this, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast. He is trusting in the Lord. In other words, the psalmist says, I don't have to worry about bad news. And let me give some of us a news flash. Bad news is coming one day. It's coming. Okay? It's coming. A bad, listen, just look around, listen. In 50 years from now, 
I will be 99 years old if I'm there. And I promise you, see, some of you wonder why you're getting a bad report. When you get in your 80s, you're going to get a bad report. That's because sin has entered this world. We're going we're, we're to die one of these days if Jesus Christ doesn't come back while we're still here. You cannot escape the appointment of death if Jesus Christ doesn't come while you're here on this earth. And when are we going to realize this, that this body is not made for eternity in its present condition? No, you, every single one of us, it is destined for us to die. And when you get that through your mind and realize, guess what? There's going to come a day if Jesus Christ doesn't come back, I'm going to get a bad doctor's report. I'm going to get a bad report. But you know what? It's not the final report. Yeah, he may heal me. Glory be to God. But you know what? If he doesn't heal me, guess what? I'm getting a new body, amen. I got eternity that I'm going to spend with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you can't do anything. You can't tell me anything that's going to cause me to lose my hope. Oh, you may tell me I got three weeks to live, but guess what? If we only have hope in this life, we're of all men most miserable. And some of us need to realize, yes, there's going to come a time that... Remember in 19 when I had so many people tell me I'm sick of 19, I'm ready for 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got 20, didn't you? You like 20? Probably not. That's part of living in a fallen world. But guess what? When your mind is fixed on God, you don't be, you're not afraid of bad news because bad news is going to eventually come but if your hope is fixed on him, you realize it's just temporary. We're just passing through. And so you keep your mind, you keep your eyes on him. And then look, let's continue on. Verse 9, look what he says here. And we'll, come on, be playing. He says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Let's say this next word out loud. Practice. Practice. Practice? I don't want to practice. I just want to play the piano. Right? I don't want to practice golf. I just want to get out there and just swing and birdie my way throughout the day. I don't want to practice shooting. I just want to get out there and do it. Practice is something you do every single day. In other words, listen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but peace in your mind is something you got to put into practice. I can't dump enough oil on your head to give you peace the rest of your life without you having to practice it. Just can't do it. No. You've got to what? Pray about everything. Don't be worried about anything. Think about the right things. Put into practice these things. And then what he says, look what he says. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm here to tell you, listen, P 
Peace is not found in something. It's found in someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Will you stand? I asked you this morning before we started this message to do a little self-examination. I ask you these questions again. If you're all tore up this morning, are there any barriers between you and God? Are there any unnecessary battles that you're fighting right now? Are there any unnecessary burdens you're carrying? And if there are, take them and leave them there.